Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is. Thursday, the 16th of February, 2023. What's on your agenda today? What's on your calendar? Thank you for including me uh, in this conversation in what I am sure is a busy, busy day. Hey, um, you know that annual physical? You've got one coming up, I'm sure. We always do, like, right? The annual physical is actually always coming up. Um, President Joe Biden is going to have a physical today. I don't expect a... <laughs> I don't frankly expect us to hear much about it, um, nor do I expect us to um, get a full and robust report. But there you go. He's going to have a physical today. That is happening. Um, today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So let's just pause right there um, for just a moment. Um, Paul is clearly talking here about people who are in Christ, people who are Christians, um, if you read the full context of these verses, you'll understand more of what I'm talking about there. Um, but the Holy Spirit is only indwelling those who are in Christ, right? In whom Christ dwells by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is juxtaposed against those in whom the Holy Spirit does not dwell. We talked yesterday about the Word of God going forth and always accomplishing the purpose for which God sends it. Well, this is like that. Like, there is a productive nature. The Holy Spirit is actually doing something in the lives of believers. Uh, You can quench that. You can um, inhibit it. uh, But... But it's it, it, it the Holy Spirit's in there. If you're a believer, then the Holy Spirit's dwelling within you. So there you go. So Galatians five twenty two and twenty three. The Holy Spirit produces produces fruit in our lives, and Paul describes the, the the varieties of fruit or the kinds of fruit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. No law against these things. Paul says. Now this passage goes on to. Um, create another list of what I'll just describe as rotten fruit, worldly fruit. Um, And it's a good exercise to review the entirety of the context of this passage. But today, you know, this is a little bit of like Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? Um, Your life is a garden. um, And God has sown the seed of his word in your life. Um, You have invited Christ Uh, to dwell within you richly by the power of his Holy Spirit um, if you're a Christian. And so then there is this question of what is being produced by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. What is the fruit of my life? So um, I'm going to invite you into what I think of today as a fruit inspection. And sometimes this um, this is best done like in community uh, with somebody who knows you very, very well, that you can sit down with them and you can say, I mean, you know, look, I, I've i read this verse in Galatians chapter five, and um, I know that as a person 
in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, God is very much desiring to produce in my life an ever more abundant harvest of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm wondering, as my friend, as my sister, as my colleague, do you see evidence of these good fruits in my life? Do, do, you see, do you see that I'm growing in these ways, that these things are being produced in me and through me? Um, this is a good day for a fruit inspection. Just think about the times that you've gone to the grocery store or the farmer's market or to a fruit stand and you have inspected the fruit. I mean, you know, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? You're looking for good fruit. Let's just admit it. Um, Now, if you're going to make banana bread, you're actually looking for bananas that are, you know, a little past their prime. So I do realize that this um, analogy breaks down at some point. But there you go. Paul offers us today an opportunity for a spiritual fruit inspection. Um, And so I encourage you to do this and invite others into it as well. Um, Let's see. One, um, (laughs) there's a... There's a litany of negative headlines today in terms of like the health of the country. And so I'll just offer this one as an exemplar um, to stop Medicare's Medicare. Yesterday, we talked about Social Security and the imminent demise of it uh, without some sort of radical intervention. Um, Today, uh, this headline um, at Axios.com. Uh, to stop Medicare's finances from imploding as soon as 2028, which, my friends, is only five years away, and that's just not very long. That's just not very long. Congress has three real options, raise taxes, cut benefits, or cut payments to the healthcare industry. No one has a realistic plan for getting to a yes on any of those, and no one has any plan other than those. So if you have, um, you know, I'll just say this, if you've got a plan um, to restructure the finances of Medicare, uh, I'd love to hear it. If you've got a plan for restructuring Social Security, I, I'd love to hear it. Like, right? The the good idea is out there somewhere among uh, amongst we the people. And so, you know, maybe it's time for we the people to start chiming in and offering up um, good, good ideas uh, that might help us uh, as a nation get out of the quagmire we find ourselves in. Ben Johnson is going to join us next. He's a senior reporter and editor at The Washington Stand. Um, there's so much going on across the country. I just thought it would be good to have a conversation with Ben about um, how prone we are to try to find someone to blame and um, maybe what our options are as we approach something like total system failure. Like, where are the good ideas? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson is back. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. All right. So people want to blame, you know, a train company um, for things going on in Ohio, uh, people in Turkey want to blame the people who built the buildings. Um, people want to blame big tech for what's happening to a generation of young people. People want to blame big pharma um, because of the opioid epidemic. People want to blame 
all kinds of people, education, welfare, health care. Like you could go down the list. Everybody wants to blame somebody else for what, uh, you know, the ills being suffered. I guess I just want to have a conversation um, about maybe where are the good ideas? Clearly, there have to be some good ideas out there and not just blame casting. Well, and of course, in the the uh, the real problem is in a fallen world, every bit mm. of uh, blame casting has a kernel of truth in it. Uh, yeah. it, it, regardless of who you point to and where you look, uh, there there is a failure there, uh, and that certainly includes the person in the mirror. So, uh, there there's some responsibility. There's some uh, failure that has taken place at every level for every person. Uh, if you're looking at uh, what happened in East Palestine, uh, obviously there were failures with uh, with Norfolk Southern. Uh, there there were some uh, issues that perhaps they had lost of changing uh, certain safety regulations and used electric brakes, which uh, has led to several derailments, all from the same company. Uh, there there are issues with um, the idea of tracking this over the rail in the first place. Twenty um, some years ago, uh, there were there were petitions and so forth to uh, to keep this from coming through either certain states or certain communities or by going through rail. Um, when it comes to the response, you know, there have been people pointing fingers at, uh, at uh, cabinet officials because it seems like they are out of touch and not responding. Uh, the president uh, of the United States ultimately uh, is always brought into every issue. So th- there's, there's always some kernel of idea of, of someone being put to blame. Uh, for whatever it is, uh, so the the question is how uh, how is it that we get out of uh, whatever situation that we're looking at, um, whether that's this or something else. Um, in in some cases, it it means taking a, a genuine look at what policies failed. Uh, in in it, it takes a look at some people usually stepping aside and um, uh, better ideas being implemented in their in their stead. Yeah, I I think that we're talking about um, such deeply systemic issues that when we when we talk about needing um, wholesale reform in education, healthcare, immigration, um, I mean the list is so long, right? I I, I dare I dare not start down a list, or that's all we would get accomplished. Um, but real reformation happens when people with good ideas step forward. And even though really hard sacrifices have to be made in order to institute those reforms, like that's the only positive way forward. The, the only other way is, is decline. Well, where you were talking about uh, reforming these entitlements, for example, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, all of them clearly uh, running out of money here very quickly. Uh, this is, this is the uh, politics of kicking the can. Uh, these are literally the exact same issues that were being debated when you and I were children. Uh, they're they're the, some of the issues that were being debated back in the 1960s. Um, so these these have been issues that have been around for a very long time. And when it comes down to it, what um, what it, what is necessary for all of us is uh, for for each of us to take a look at the problem, uh, and rather than simply go to the first step, which is who's to blame, the question is. How do we find an answer to uh, to these various issues? And you and I would say 
the Bible has the answers for this. If we were to uh, implement mm -hmm. the morality, if we were to take the personal responsibility that is manifest in this, and if uh, we were to make the sacrifices that are incumbent upon every one of us to care for others first, then everything else would fall in line behind that. So when it comes to uh, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, it's obvious that if, if you decide you're going to keep these programs and that they're going to become solvent, then something has to give in some other area of the budget uh, and that areas, uh, these simply have to be freed up. Uh, and that if you bring in money for, say, a program like Social Security, which is a transfer payment program, that that money actually has to remain for that program and it can't be spent on other things as it has been for a very long time. So making sure that that money stays where it is and uh, freeing up those funds, or if you made an IOU, actually paying it back to yourself, that might be a, a place to begin. Yeah, you, when you rob Peter to pay Paul, um, eventually, like, Peter needs his money. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, um, it's so complex. I think it's really hard for us to get our minds around the scope of the problem that we face here in the United States of America. We are necessarily focused on um, on concerns like related to abortion and euthanasia and um, elder care and all kinds of things within our own um, familial systems. Uh, and so maybe, Ben, we turn uh, from this particular conversation to one about the nuclear family, because, um, you know, where I would say many of the answers to these challenges and problems, you know, come by the restoration of the family, the family is actually under really significant attack in America. So we're going to continue our conversation with Ben Johnson here in just a moment. We're going to talk about the nuclear family. Is it dangerous and un-American? You can check out the article at WashingtonStand.com. We'll be right back. Prayer is such a gift. I love to pray. I think people sometimes overcomplicate prayer or try to craft perfect prayers as if God needs to be impressed. God just wants to hear what's on your heart and mind. He just wants to hear the sound of your voice. He wants us to turn to him with great expectation and faith that says, I don't have the power nor the resources, but God, you do. Or I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. Or God, thank you. Thank you that you're good and that you've revealed yourself in ways that I can comprehend. And thank you for doing all that you do in every moment, even the stuff that I don't know is happening. Help me today. and. Help me not miss the divine opportunities you've set. I want to see you today, God, so show me yourself. Prayer's not complicated. It's a gift, and you can exercise it every moment and in any circumstance. Start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional email. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray, yeah, yeah. let's get warm. We're continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. Uh, he tweets at the Rights Writer. He's a senior editor and reporter at the Washington Stand. Um, turning to a post at the Washington Stand right now. Uh, there's a call for advocacy for natural family as dangerous and un-American. Um, ben, read us in on this. Uh, when I saw this, I, I thought this has to be the Babylon Bee or, or the Onion. It can't, or, can't or possibly be true. Talked. Can't possibly be true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought this has got to be a parody account, but as it turns out, it's the real deal. Uh, there was a hearing in South Dakota uh, just a little bit earlier this week where the uh, Family Heritage Alliance, a pro-family group up there, was testifying. They testified on uh, 
the, the value and the benefits of the natural nuclear family. And one of the things that they mentioned was it's, it's a safe place. You're, there's less likely to be abuse there. There's a state representative named Aaron Healy, who's uh, one of the few Democrats in the chamber in South Dakota, of course, overwhelmingly a red state. And she tweeted out on Monday, extremist group Family Heritage Alliance said this morning, the safest place for kids are in families that have a married mom and dad. What a dangerous and un-American belief. <laughs> so, um, and I, mm. I thought this can't be what true. Made, but what, to, yeah. what makes, I'm just trying to get into the mind of someone who would say such a thing. What do you think, um, from the perception of some people, makes the idea of an intact family with a mom and a dad, um, what makes that dangerous and what, what could possibly make that un-American? Well, it, it, it boggles the mind how it can be on American. When you when you think of uh, the essence of America, you think of uh, baseball, apple pie, and motherhood, right? Uh, so those are the those are the sorts of things that you think of uh, the family, the American family, the all American family. Uh, that's that's something that uh, is a phrase that we've used about the family for uh, for generations. But I guess if um, if you're interested in a, a kind of a, an extreme social policy then the family is one of the things that stands in the way. And uh, I, I looked up Healy. She is actually quite extreme in uh, many of her positions. Uh, when uh, Kamala Harris was looking for ways to get around the Dobbs decision uh, to try and find some way to uh, uh, assure that abortion on demand for as long as possible is still on the books. She met with Aaron Healy in South Dakota, among other people. So, um, Healy was uh, talking specifically about a book, that, uh, about a law that was up on the books uh, and it did not come out of committee, but uh, they were going to redefine marriage. And I, I just want to get very clear. Uh, what she said is literally 180 degrees from truth. Uh, there's a congressionally mandated report uh, on child abuse. Uh, the most recent one, for whatever reason, was done 13 years ago. But uh, I assure you, the, the research goes back as far as we have research, and it's still true today. Uh, the wording says children living with two married biological parents had the lowest rate of overall harm standard maltreatment, which is the federal term for child abuse. Uh, in, in the article at WashingtonStand.com, I look at uh, surveys going back almost 40 years, back to 1985. They find that uh, toddlers who are living with uh, an unrelated person, uh, a step parent or, or someone who's not their bio, two biological parents, were 40 times, 40, 4,000% more likely to be abused than those with their natural parents. Uh, children living with an unrelated parent were 50 times more likely to be killed, and uh, they're far more likely to end up in some form of child abuse or contact with child protective services. Those are multiple studies over multiple decades. Uh, obviously, there are there are some wonderful examples of blended family. There, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, but uh, the scriptures show us uh, that uh, that is an exceedingly rare condition. Uh, what typically happens is that people care for those of their own household, of their own family, uh, their natural relationships of, of kin and uh, commonality and uh, bonds of uh, natural, uh, unconditional love uh, among people who are related to one another. And if you don't have that and you're raising a child, raising a child puts you in the most fraught emotional circumstances. And if you don't have a, an absolute commitment to the child's well-being, that's where you're likely to snap. And unfortunately, that's what we see in all too many cases. Uh, David Brooks, um, 
who, you know, sometimes I agree with and sometimes I don't. Um, but he wrote a piece that uh, actually, when you started reading it, you thought to yourself, David Brooks thinks the nuclear family is a bad idea. But by that, he means that what we've lost is multi-generational families living in or you know, like this interconnected extended family living in tight community with one another. What we have um, what we have witnessed when we read about what is happening in um, in Turkey and Syria and, you know, when whole families, multi-generational families have been lost because they were living in proximity to one another, you know, in in one apartment complex, in one building. Um, we don't have that in the United States of America. The nuclear family, you know, meant that everyone goes and lives separately from one another in their own little house with their own little yard and their own little picket fence, right? I mean, and so um, it's interesting to see this conversation happening um, simultaneously in both directions. This person um, decrying the nuclear family um, as bad because it's intact. And David Brooks saying, actually, the nuclear family isn't even enough. We need an interconnected, multi-generational, extended family um, as used to exist and um, and that would be a, a positive way forward, um, you know, out of uh, the, the current challenges that we're facing in the United States of America. So it's an interesting conversation, and I appreciated your highlighting it um, from one direction. And uh, I just think that it's one of those that um, each each and all of us have to consider as we have conversations about child care and elder care and um, an aging generation and maybe the demise of Social Security and the resources that would be there to support people who've for a long time been living independently of others. I just there's just a lot to talk about here. So thank you, as always, Ben, for helping us have the conversation. Thank you for uh, for hosting these important conversations and uh, for sharing your insights. You're always shining a light. And I appreciate that. Well, thanks, Ben. Uh, there's probably a layer of this conversation as well that goes to the extended family of the church. So maybe you and you you are experiencing in your own local community some really unique approach um, to caring generation to generation. I'd love to hear about it. You can always text me 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. All right, we've got um, a growing number, a growing percentage of Christians in America who imagine that they can be Christians apart from a community of believers. And so we want to talk about that. We want to talk about um, Christians who find themselves separated from a particular body of believers. And we want to talk about um, uh, how to encourage orphaned believers to find their way home. Sarah Billups has written an excellent book on the topic, Orphaned Believers, How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find Their Way Home. Um, We want to talk with her about that, but I'd also love to hear your testimony as well. You can text me if you feel like you've lost your um, you've lost your church for one reason or another. Um, How are you finding your way home to a new Christian community. You can text me at 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio.
Well, wonderful to have joining with us uh, today, Sarah Billups. She's a Seattle-based writer, so it's fun to have um, her joining us. Her book is Orphaned Believers, How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home. Sarah, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So one of the things I appreciated um, in the introduction to the book is how you write about your friendship with your dad and the influence Mm -hmm. that he's had, um, you know, on your faith growing up. So just talk with us a little bit about that, because your backstory is a part of this conversation about orphaned believers. Yeah, that's right. You know, I've been in Seattle about 18 years, but I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a Rust Belt Belt town in the northeast part of the state. And my dad was uh, raised in a secular Jewish home, but converted to Christianity in the 70s pretty radically. He met Jesus in a really powerful way at a Bible study on the book of Daniel. And he just like ran to the parking lot out of this apartment he was in and fell, fell on his face and accepted Jesus. And my mom said, you know, when she next saw him, his face had changed. Like it was a really radical conversion. Um, but he was also <clears throat> converted in the, in the era when, you know, the late great planet earth by Hal Lindsey was a really popular book. There were, um, a lot of threads in uh, pop culture and in larger culture about, you know, the the Red Scare and the Russian threat and the Cold War. And so he, you know, had a radical conversion, but also was raised, or I was also raised in a culture where there was sort of a fear of the end times, which was a really uh, thick thread growing up for me. So I was raised to love Jesus and a Christian home, but I was also, you know, Carmen, like some people talk about football at dinner, we would talk about the rapture or the end of the world. It was a common part of the conversation. And so that really kind of made me unsure and afraid as a kid, as well as a person, a kid that went to church. So it was a really mixed experience for me. You actually um, write a lot about the end times, um, but your Mm -hmm. sort of view on that and your passion for it in terms of how you look forward to it has really, really changed. Mm. Um, Maybe we could talk about that. Like how, how do we as Jesus followers passionately look forward to our future with Christ, um, mm-hmm. even though, like, right, we still we still got to live in the present. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, so I, I was um, raised really with a lot of um, talk about the rapture and kind of a view of premillennial dispensationalism. Um, I've learned that there's a lot of other views about, about what will happen and how revelations interpret it. But, you know, really, I think that um, I'm at this point in my life, I'm in my mid-40s, um, I'm passionately looking forward to my future with Jesus while while living redemptively in the present. So I've been able to kind of focus on the joy of participating in God's work, of bringing the kingdom to the here and now that's deeply satisfying, and that helps me to care for other people and advocate for change and pray for my city. But I also have such hope about all things being made right and new in the end, um, whatever that looks like, particularly like such a joy to imagine Jesus returning, but also a real groundedness and centeredness in the work that we have to do as Christians here. Yeah, I want him to find me busy when he returns. And I, and I <laughs> yeah, also, totally. right. And I also want to, totally. like, I'm totally looking forward to spending eternity with him. Um, and mm-hmm. I should be like, I should be genuinely passionate about every person that I meet sharing mm-hmm. in that future. Um, and so I do think yeah. I love this language of living redemptively in the present. Absolutely. With, you know, with eternity in view, with the second coming of Christ in view, it's not just something that we say when we talk about what we believe. 
um, it, we actually believe it and we live with yeah. it in view. I think that's just so helpful. Hey, we're talking with Sarah yeah. Billups today. She's the author of Orphaned Believers, How Can a Gen- How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home. Um, you can find it from our friends over at Baker Books or where, um, Sarah, do you prefer that folks connect with you directly? So I'm just online at sarahbillups.com and then I write a monthly letter called Bitter Scroll at, at Substack. So either place. And I'm also on Instagram. Lots. (laughs) Yeah. So if you go to sarahbillips.com, you can connect with um, all of Sarah's socials. Let's let's just do a little definition here. What is or who is an orphaned believer? Mm, Yeah. When I, when I say orphaned believer, I, I really essentially mean any Christian looking around the American church right now and wondering where Jesus is. You know, I mean, I've gone to the same church in Seattle for 18 years. I'm blessed to go to a really healthy, flourishing congregation. But some of the churches I grew up in, when I lived in the Bible Belt, you know, I heard a lot of talk about Jesus, but I didn't see a lot of folks being formed or spiritually kind of grounded in the gospel. And then, you know, out here in Seattle, there's plenty of folks that, you know, if you go to church in Seattle, it's probably not by accident, you know, and So there's also this feeling of culturally having to explain here in my city what it means to be a Christian, but I'm not that kind. It's really exhausting to kind of talk about that. So when I say orphan believer, I just mean culturally, you know, if you're in the Bible Belt and you're not really seeing Jesus transform your your own life or a lot of lives around you, or if you live in the city like me and it's exhausting to talk about your faith. Um, But then, of course, I also just mean spiritually people that believe in Jesus, but feel like they can't square their reading of the gospel with a lot of what's been broken in the church lately. And, you know, we've all seen the headlines about abuse and the fall of celebrity pastor. I mean, you know, you know the list as well as I do. And so just wondering where Jesus is in the midst of all of that brokenness. It's so good. I want to um, I want to come back um, in just a moment to the word formed that you used mm. there just a moment ago. But I also just want to speak a word of encouragement um, to if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, you know what, that's me. That's that's totally me. I am an orphaned believer. I um, I am looking around at the local church and wondering where Jesus is. Um, this this mm-hmm. book is for you. It's called Orphaned Believers: How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home. We're going to continue our conversation with Sarah Billups in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Picking up where we left off in our conversation with Sarah Billups, she's joining us today with her new book, Orphaned Believers, How a, How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home, from our friends over at Baker Publishing. Um, let's talk about a word that you used in describing people who are orphaned believers. You used the word formed. I'm going to add to that this um, uh, this conversation that you have. You take a whole chapter to do it on spiritual formation 
as the antidote um, Mm -hmm. to a lot of what we experience today in terms of the negative culture of the church. So what do you mean by formation and um, how, Mm -hmm. how does it, how has it changed the way that you interact with Christianity and how do you see it as, you know, like the positive antidote um, to what's going on right now in the church? Yeah, Carmen. I mean, it's, it's changed everything for me. And yet when I say spiritual formation, I simply mean that the, the way that we're being formed, how we're being formed to the image of, of, of Jesus and how the Holy spirit is shaping our life. And so You know, as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, I was formed as much by the mall and Mm -hmm. by um, by single issue voting and by pop culture and by culture wars as I was by Jesus. So it wasn't until um, my late 30s that I began to think, you know, how can spiritual formation be an anecdote to some of the issues I talk about in the book and times culture that was pretty scary for me as a kid and culture wars and consumerism? Because I think we need to be shaped by Jesus to be able to live out the values that we hear on the Sermon on the Mount, and we can't do that unless we're shaped by the inside out. And so I think formation grounds us in Jesus, who says, don't be afraid and move into the world and love the world, but to do that with fortification, you know, and I think that formation lets us resist the tendency to make a a bad guy or a straw man against someone that believes differently than we do. And it also protects us from consumerism and competing forces that make it, you know, likely that we can be swept away instead of being anchored in biblical teaching. So when I say spiritual formation, I just mean inward practices like prayer and reading the Bible and, you know, maybe fasting or silence. And then there's also outward practices like direct service and also corporate practices like going to church or being in community. Yeah, I'm glad that um, that we get to that conversation, not only here, but also in the book. Um, this is not you, you know, giving everybody permission to just go out there and be a low, Lone Ranger Christian. You know, it's just me and Jesus. Let me just be formed in Christ. Um, but I can do that apart from the church. Talk with us about why mm-hmm. we still need the church today. Yeah, you know, I think we need the church because it's the the best, the best hope that we have. And it's what Christ left us with. And, you know, it's possible that, uh, that I have centered my life around a myth that I'm, you know, I believe in a literal virgin birth and resurrection. Either I'm building my life around something that's not true, or um, the compelling me- message of Jesus and how that changed us, that radical hope is worth everything. And so the only way the church will disappear is if the church is a myth, and otherwise it's here to stay, which I fully believe. And so the question is, how do we work for its health to be true witnesses to Jesus instead of all of the other forces in the in the world and in our the way that we're divided that seek to kind of uh, co-opt co-opt the church. And so I, you know, we serve a, a triune God. We're we're called to community. And so if folks are in a healthy church, I think that if we have hearts burning for change, we're called to stay and try to make welcome those that have been harmed, or to try to heal and do that work to restore parts of the church that are broken. And I do think, you know, people have had real tender stories. I mean, I hear from people every day that are taking a break from church that have been harmed by the church. Like there's no sort of formulaic, you have to go. I, I, if we have the gift of life being long, I believe that means that Jesus will draw us towards community, whatever that looks like. If that's two or three people, if that's a home church, if that's something online. But ideally, we can find ourselves in a healthy congregation that's that's safe where 
we get to be around people we wouldn't choose or curate. Like, you know, maybe I wouldn't go to brunch with some people in my church. Maybe they're not like me, but I love them. Like, I love our diversity and difference in opinions about politics or culture. Like, it's such a beautiful coming together of, of I think, what the bigger church is like. So that's that's some of the reasons I think we really still need the church today. We're talking with Sarah Billups. The book is Orphaned Believers, How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home. If you're feeling disconnected from um, the the church, um, this is an opportunity for you to consider why um, and to consider how spiritual formation, what practices might look like, um, that you would allow yourself to be conformed to Christ, um, formed in his image, by the reshaping of your life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, like all of that is a part of this conversation. Sarah, I'd love for you to, uh, you know, like draw a picture for us, help us use our, our you know, active um, redeemed imaginations and help us see what a Christian counterculture could actually look like in the present day, like a healthy integrated one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I write in the book about Jesus people in the 60s and how it was a really radical time of, of a lot of people getting saved, like people being baptized off the coast of California by Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith, who founded Calvary Chapel. It was a really exciting time. And then as as boomer hippies kind of moved into adulthood and settled and had families, us kids maybe kind of heard stories if our parents were hippies or heard stories of those times, but didn't really experience that ourselves, especially, you know, like me growing up in the suburbs, it was not a really interesting or or exciting place. But I did find in the 90s, my own version of counterculture in the church where people like me that maybe were a little more creative or really liked to read uh, books or write poems, just people that had a different imagination could really find a home for other folks that really didn't totally felt like they quote unquote fit in, in in a similar way, you know? And so I think that today, a healthy counterculture could really look like the church cultivating communities of creative people and allowing them to be imaginative and not pedantic and that art can be edifying even if it's um, imaginative and not explicitly like explicitly Christian like maybe it's not something that you would see in a Christian bookstore but it's somebody experiencing Jesus and expressing that creatively so I just have a lot of hope that as the church moves forward and as broken parts of the church heal that real imagination and creativity and the arts can be a bit of an anecdote or a vitamin, you know, as we imagine what's to come. All right. If you're one of those people that is absolutely looking forward to the release of the Jesus Revolution movie uh, yeah, in late that's February, right. right? This would be a great book to be reading and to whet your, uh, whet your appetite for that um, conversation. Orphaned Believers, How a Generation of Christian Exiles can find the way home. Um, Sarah, um, what would be like, let's give people like one action step today. Um, Mm -hmm. Suggest one action step to a person who really does feel like an orphaned believer. Um, You know, what's something they could do today to reconnect um, with Christ in the world? Yeah. You know, it can be really isolating to to feel like you are alone or the only one that is not flourishing or in a place where it's hard to pray or hard to find hope. I mean, it can be very alienating. So one thing I would say is to seek community, to seek other people following Jesus, even if that's hard to not give up and to seek community in healthy spaces online and in person. I think that the enemy of our souls can really take root when we're isolated. And so 
talking to people that you trust, um, moving towards community, um, even in the presence of doubt or of, of, of grief is, I think, a really healthy step if you can. Um, if you can. Yeah. You know so what? Um, if you're, yeah. If you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, you know what? I am an orphaned believer and um, I want some help. Um, seeking community, why don't you just text me? Text me. Um, you could just text the word orphan or you could just say you're talking about me right now. 877-933-2484. Always the text line number, always open. 877-933-2484. Let's see if we can't help one another get um, get reconnected in community even just today. Um, Sarah, what a delight to make your acquaintance and meet you. You are a sister in Christ. Um, I'm looking forward to um, the work that you're doing in your doctoral program as well. That sounds absolutely fascinating. So we look forward to talking with you at some other point as well. Thank you so much, Carmen. This has been a gift. Yeah, real delight. Sarah Billups, the book is Orphaned Believers, How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home. You can connect with um, all things Sarah at sarahbillips.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, thank you for all of you who are texting in um, this morning on such a wide variety of um, conversations and concerns. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate the, um, the the feedback, the engagement, the encouragement, the prayers, the questions. Um, lots of folks um, asking really good questions this morning about a range of things. You can, you know, you can always text me, 877-933-2484. Um, and for those of you who are texting in and saying, you know what, I can relate to being an orphan. I can relate to feeling like an orphaned Christian um, because uh, my church is a part of a denomination that has left the faith and therefore, um, you know, I feel like my church has left me. There are others who um, who feel uh, disconnected from a community of believers because of a particular sin of leadership within the church um, and experiences of abuse or um, others have lost their church because of uh, a divorce, right? And the other spouse got the church. Um, So uh, there's a long litany of reasons that folks feel orphaned. Um, And I just, I just want to say that the community of faith is so much bigger than any one expression of it. The body of Christ is really, really big. Um, The body of Christ is very diverse. It's, it's beautiful it is planted by God's design in every community across the country. Um, and if you say to yourself, I don't know of a good church where I live, well, then you are, uh, it's incumbent upon you to start gathering with other believers as the church. Like that is literally how it works. Um, and so if you're listening right now and, you, and you're saying to yourself, um, I could really use some help with this. I've got, um, yeah, I, I want to hear from you. So um I got some ideas and I'll and I'll email them back to you personally Um, because we want to see individual Christians connected in community with one another. We want to see Christians um, reconnected with the church. You, You literally like there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Even Jesus uh, chose to live in community with others Uh, that last week of his life. You know, he didn't choose to um, to to just go and self-isolate Right. In anticipation of the cross, 
Every night he walked back all the way to Bethany in order that he could be in community um, with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, uh, his disciples. Like they all piled in there um, every night of the last week of Jesus's life. I want you just to consider that. I mean, even when, um, yeah, if Jesus needs community, then so do we. He is our older brother. We are adopted into the family of faith through him. And so if you're feeling orphaned, I guess what I want to say, um, maybe most personally and passionately, is you've been adopted. Like, you are a son. You are a daughter. You are beloved. You are loved. You are cherished. The inheritance that is set aside for you is more than you could ever imagine. You have brothers and sisters beyond your wildest imagining. Um. And and there are Christians who want to be in community with you. Uh, and so I really appreciate um, Sarah bringing forward this conversation and desiring for people to be reconnected to the body of Christ um, as individual members of it. So if you want some help with that, just text me, um, 877-933-2484. Maybe drop your email address in there because that would probably be the easiest way to have an ongoing conversation about this. Hey, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Oh, we have no break, Paul says. So there you go. We're taking this to the end of the hour, which means I got a couple of more minutes here with you. Um, I've been reading in uh, in headlines about uh, the number of churches across the country that are anticipated to close in the next uh, decade. And right now there are some 300,000 churches in America, like official, formal, uh, registered churches. Beyond that, there's probably, you know, another million house churches, like people who are gathering together as smaller expressions um, in an unorganized or less organized way in people's homes. And so when we think that... um, when we when we think about the litany of challenges that we face as a country and particularly things like deaths of despair or an entire generation of people who, because they are disconnected from their family of origin and maybe for whatever reason, they don't have healthy connections to their like their biological family now, they've got to have family. They've got to have community or these deaths of despair, these people dying in loneliness across the country is only going to escalate. And we are not going to have a governmental answer to that question. But the church does have an answer to that question because we love each one. We love each one. Um, And so in the same way that Christ um, came from heaven to earth and earth to the cross and the cross to the grave and the grave to the sky, he then in turn, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sends us as his agents of grace and ambassadors of reconciliation to, to go out into the world to the people who are disconnected, lost, lonely, and broken and and say, you know what? I will sit with you here. I will be the incarnational ministry of presence. Um, you and I could hold out hope that they might give their life to Christ before they die, but no one should die alone. And so let's be the church um, as an expression of the power of God to redeem. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.